Welcome to the Excellent Exo Chat with Bill and Nora. Our podcast is meant to educate, inform, and discuss the ever-expanding topic of exotechnologies. If you are interested in exoskeletons, robots, or automated systems, you should listen to us. We will be discussing how these technologies impact you through chats with experts and users from around the world. Hey, Nora, how's it going? I'm good, Bill. How are you? Good. Who do we have with us today? Well, I'm really excited. Today we have Adam Norton. Um, He's going to let you know his background and where he's from. But on the ASTM side, he is the current chair of Committee F45 on Robotics, Automation, and Autonomous Systems. So I'm sure he's going to be able to discuss a lot about that today. And he's also one of our ETCOE RFP winner projects um, for our exoskeletons and exotechnologies. So welcome, Adam. It's great to have you on today. Thank you both for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, So, uh, Adam, yeah, go ahead, Bill. You go first. Oh, no, (laughs) no. So, Adam, what do you do? So, I am the Associate Director of the New England Robotics Validation and Experimentation Center, or Nerve Center, at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. Uh, We're a research center that's all focused on test and evaluation of robot systems spanning many different domains. Um, And in in my role as associate director, I do a cross between project management, proposal writing, uh, do a lot of research and testing myself, manage a large crew of staff and students, um, as well as other types of activities like serving on standards committees, like Nora had mentioned, um, and really uh, kind of dipping my toe into all different aspects of the test and evaluation world. Wow, that sounds very exciting. How, how in the world did you get involved with this? So my story is, uh, I, I like to think, kind of unique in that I have a fine arts background. And I started as a designer, uh, more doing kind of web design and graphic design, in the Human Robot Interaction Lab at UMass Lowell under uh, Professor Holly Yanko, who's the director of the Nerve Center and started dabbling with robotics through some educational programs. And by the time I had graduated, uh, Holly had this wild idea for a test center for robots at the university. And she said, do you want to run it? (laughs) And uh, a lot of it really started with, uh, actually starting with some of the ASTM E5409 test methods for response robots. A lot of them are fabricated out of uh, wooden materials and things around a wood shop. And her, uh, her thought was, you know your way around a wood shop, go, go run a test center. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Wow. Uh, and that was about, about 10 years ago. Um, and we did indeed start our center really focused around response robot evaluation, uh, working with Adam Jakoff and Ann Verts at, uh, at NIST and uh, that ASTM group. And then since then, it has expanded into exoskeletons with F48, wow. Uh, you know, uh, autonomous industrial vehicles and robot manipulation with F45 um, and just kind of continued building from there. Wow. Yeah, that's that's funny. So I was working with uh, the people on the other side of NIST at the Department of Homeland Security, Bert Corsi and Phil Matson at the time, and uh, they were yep. funding Ann and Adam and stuff to do that. So it's, it's, it's amazing how those connections are there. That's right. And we had funding through NIST uh, to 
develop some of those standard tests. And uh, I'm sure that those individuals are probably involved on that side as well. So, I mean, it really is a small world amongst all of these different, you know, research organizations. Yeah. So let's talk about the small worlds because, you know, you, you and the nerve center kind of span this huge range, everything from, I'll say almost like artificial intelligence to drones, to exoskeletons, to robotics, and, and maybe some other things. How, how does all that work together? So uh, at NERV, because our focus is on test and evaluation and a development of metrics and evaluation schemes, uh, we use a, a fairly common methodology regardless of the domain, uh, which is, you know, we're primarily focused on uh, physical systems, meaning, uh, like you mentioned, drones, legged robots, ground robots, uh, manufacturing systems, things that are, you know, performing tasks in the real world for which you can develop a set of performance metrics, um, of which you can evaluate the human component as a human interacts with it, whether through an interface or maybe works collaboratively. Um, so kind of regardless of the domain, uh, we can uh, develop different uh, test and evaluation uh, measures to evaluate the performance of those systems. Um, and we don't strictly you know, limit ourselves in domain uh, just mm. because it is so broadly applicable. Right. And that's, it's been really nice to actually working with, uh, say, an a organization like ASTM in that regard, because they also are so broadly applicable across mm -hmm. many domains. So a lot of our outputs, uh, you know, we, we always kind of have in mind that we may turn this into a standard test method or a standard right. test practice or what have you. And it, it's got to, you know, become a really nice kind of unifier across all the different research programs. Yeah. And it's really amazing. And it's great to hear that. You know, I, I talk to a lot of folks out there and, and they don't really get this whole idea of, you know, test methods and why standards are important. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, I, I would love to hear, you know, what would you tell somebody that doesn't really get to the standards world and why would it's important to have a certain test method or a certain standard on something? Yeah, I mean, I, I will definitely say that um, it is a common, uh, I'm trying to think if it's a misconception or not, that, you know, standards, test methods, metrics, it's not the sexiest part of research and development, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's vital. It's really necessary in that you can have a series of different systems that are made by several different manufacturers, uh, all maybe aimed at the same use case, same task, and all purporting different uh, metrics of their own. You know, mm -hmm. We can hit a throughput rate of X uh, under conditions YZ, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And when you are, say, a customer looking to procure one of those systems, and all you've got are, are spec sheets to go off of, all kind of use using their own metrics, their own evaluation methods, it's hard on the other end of it to know, can I actually take this manufacturer's metric and compare it to this manufacturer's? Right. Like they look the same, but maybe they weren't actually uh, you know, uh, collected under the same conditions. So without standard test methods, um, it's really difficult to navigate through that world in a way that is uh, informed. Mm. And in a way that you can also, you know, uh, take those results and uh, pass them around, you know, elsewhere. If you need to uh, demonstrate a capability to a higher up or show how one system is applicable in this domain and the other, uh, there are standards and test methods that can help you make those cases without having to reinvent the wheel. That's cool. Yeah, my my uh, my boss at work. Uh, 
he he always beats upon this this concept which I think it captures a little bit of that is this is really about trust and confidence. And, and this is how you get trust and confidence, whether it's a, a product, a technology, a, a, a piece of infrastructure, a building, a, a modality. And I think, you know, that's what I hear you describing is, is that idea of how do we get to trust and confidence? How do we know what to buy? How do we compare things? You know, how do we how do we measure something and know that this measurement can be used, trusted and compared to another measurement? That's really, really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's really funny and like real in real world examples whenever we go to the giant here um they have a an autonomous cleaning um, <laughs> system right mm-hmm. and the first time we saw it i i walked right in front of it and it stopped and my husband goes nor how did you know that thing was going to stop and i burst out <laughs> laughing i was like oh because adam because of adam <laughs> right <laughs> that oh, object detection standard sure sure <laughs> yeah right well yeah and and, and i mean to, to that point right it's there's trust and confidence in like procuring systems. Yeah. There's trust and confidence in developing systems. But now with like the example you just mentioned, these are systems that are not just being used by expert users in right. factories, you know, out in the field. Right. They are uh, interacting with bystanders and the general oh. public. And, you know, not to say that the general public needs to necessarily be informed on all the possible standards and everything that, that could exist. But if you don't build enough confidence with um, your funders or your, your customer base that uh, say whoever uh, is actually deploying that system is going to, if it's going to behave the way that the manufacturer says it does, then you're not going to want to put it out into those public environments where, in the example you just gave, yeah. you could have gotten hit by a robot that yeah. wouldn't have looked good for anybody. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are existing uh, standards that will help evaluate how effective that technology is. Um, but also standard specifications that might say you need to uh, implement this capability in a certain way. Mm. Uh, and those are those are both necessary, uh, certainly from a safety perspective, and then from the performance evaluation perspective, um, it's absolutely necessary so that you can actually do your apples to apples comparison. People always say <laughs> apples to oranges, apples to apples. Yeah. Uh, th- you don't have that apples to apples comparison without standards. Right. Yeah, and, and you know it's funny. We were having a, a similar conversation this morning with the National Safety Council, and we were talking about a lot of things. But one of the things we were we were kind of talking about is this idea of fast moving technology. Sometimes people call that emerging technologies. There's other names, and standards, laws, regulations, all these types of guidance documents take a while to develop even under the the best of circumstances a standard can take a year to three years to develop and so how do you help people around technologies that are moving fast to be safe what do you what do you guys think about when you hear that i think for me safety comes down to uh and i think this is a shared uh perspective of the kind of highest reliability of performance as you could expect. Mm. And now it depends on what you mean by that performance. Because <laughs> So, you know, you can evaluate systems for um, how fast they can perform a task. That might have some safety implications, but 
Uh, more important to safety are things like, is its emergency stop going to actuate every single time, time it right. gets actuated? Right. Um, and because of you know concerns like that, they build in standards that say it needs to be mechanically set up in a certain way such that there's a guarantee that it will stop because it's you know cutting power or however the, the technology works. Um, but the other side of it too is you know safety when you are uh, collaboratively working with the system. So this is certainly a, a newer you know realm than say uh, just like stopping if a, uh, a person gets in the way of a robot, but actually say a human and a robot collaboratively working together to perform a task. Say mm. it's a robot arm holding one end of a workpiece and the human is you know, using a grinder on it or, or whatever it is. There's other sorts of safety implications there that, you know, yes, you don't want the robot to hit the person, but you also need the robot to understand the actions the person is going to take so that it can compensate accordingly. Is it going to hold it in the right angle so the person isn't forced to go into some awkward position to interact with it? There's kind of these like second order and higher level implications of safety uh, that are, are certainly emerging. And, you know, I think companies have these in mind and are starting to develop uh, you know, some of the AI behind uh, understanding human poses, um, identifying activities, things like that, uh, which you know, there's probably not yet a standard that will uh, kind of dictate or, or measure the you know, ability of systems to do that. But just for a shameless plug for ASTM F45, <laughs> this is absolutely the type of thing we would want to see you know, start to get integrated into those domains. Uh, particularly as it becomes a you know higher value um, research line for a company, and if, if people are asking for it, then that means we we know okay we got to start putting some work into a standard around it. Right. You know, I, I'm going to ask you a, a little bit different question. So I'm going to ask you about this word automation because I, I I have a sneaking suspicion that you've experienced a spectrum of automation. Because I remember way back in the day, and maybe my memory is a little bit wrong, but when we were when NIST was looking at urban search and rescue robots, those robots were pretty much fully controlled by the operator. And then over time, those robots got more automation, and especially like around things like mapping of mazes. What when you when you hear the word automation, what do you think? What's what's your spectrum? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, it definitely is a spectrum first, first and foremost. Um, and you know, we, we actually we have a term in ASTM F forty five that kind of reflects that spectrum mm. uh, when we talk about it in terms of unmanned ground vehicles, where you know, an A dash UGV, where A can stand for you know, automatic, automated, and autonomous, and kind of using those three terms as kind of different phases. Now, this isn't a fully you know. Uh, a, a non-controversial opinion of autonomous versus automation. This right. is definitely kind of an open, you know, open to interpretation. But I think when it comes to automation, what you want are elements of the process that the human in the loop does not need to worry about. Mm. So, for example, on the response robot side of things, if you've got an unmanned aerial vehicle, you know, a small drone that you're flying through a space, the human should not have to worry uh, if I take my hands off the controls, is the system going to uh, hover in place or is it going to drift? Is it going to move around? That type of automation, uh, they should not even have to think about. And I'm saying should in terms of like this is where you know, a lot of the um, you know, industry is, is certainly moving or, or is already there. 
where when you move into something like autonomous, now it's not just the vehicle balancing in place, but now the operator says, okay, your end goal is here, wherever here is, a GPS coordinate, a point mm. on a map, whatever it is. And the system will then further automate its navigation to move from this point to that point. Avoid obstacles automatically as it moves from that point to that point. Um, and you know, as you start adding more of those automated features, it becomes more automated or more mm. autonomous. Um, but I think there's a lot of value in what I guess would be called kind of that lower level autonomy of, you know, the system can uh, move through a space just without, without hitting obstacles. Even just that, which is, you know, uh, common on any of the unmanned ground vehicles you see in like a manufacturing environment. But say for response robots, uh, which are more teleoperated, as you had mentioned, still not as prominent, at least out in the field. Right. And there's an interesting kind of chasm there between manufacturing environment where everything uh, is largely kind of known. You can program in that automation a little more easily. As soon as you go into an unknown environment, say like response robots, that level of automation can be more difficult because you've got to make more assumptions about the environment that could prove to be wrong. And it opens up a lot of other you know areas for interpretation. That's cool. So... Uh let me ask you a sort of a loaded question. So, you know, this covers a lot of technical areas. I, I'm sure there's different industries out there interested in, in all these technologies, drones, robotics, AI, exos. Are you guys open to people talking to you and asking your opinions on these things? How do you work with industry and others as part of the nerve center? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, we've are you know, our primary kind of work functions are funded through things like contracts and SBIRs, STTRs, you know, where we can work with other companies. But we're also set up um, as uh, an area, uh, 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 sorry, a facility for service. Mm. So that if a company has a new product that they're developing and wants to collect some data in our test courses or using our equipment and what have you, um, there are different ways that they can you know, interact with us um, to kind of get that expertise into their into their development and testing. Um, but also through all of the standards committees is uh, a really good way, more kind of an open forum for right. uh, those industry, academia, government uh, to interact uh, kind of in a in a common forum. And uh, you know they don't have to reveal any information that may be proprietary, which of course we understand. But we all know we're kind of facing maybe similar problems to you know some of the things I was just talking about with obstacle avoidance and automation and what have you. So if there is that kind of common problem, uh, or at least a common capability that we know we want to be able to benchmark the difference between products, um, having all of those uh, perspectives come together to discuss the, the various issues and eventually turn it into some type of standard test methods, standard practice, or what have you, um, it, it's a really good uh, way to get all that into one place and it be you know fully considerate of, of all the different viewpoints. That's cool. Yeah. So Adam, what does what does a day to day look like for you? I mean, you're involved in robotics and drones and exotechnologies, and I mean, I just can't even imagine the number of projects that you have going on. But when you're at the nerve center, what does your what does your typical day look like? I will say there probably is no typical day um, <laughs> I love in it. that, uh, you know, the week before last, I was out in Indiana doing, mm -hmm. you know, 10 to 12 hour days flying drones out at Muscatatech Urban Training Center. Wow. 
data collecting all day. Uh, whereas, you know, this week I'm uh, more preparing materials for upcoming studies, uh, writing proposals for potential future work, uh, meeting with different staff and students to discuss their parts on the project. Um, so it, it really varies kind of from week really to week, cool. from, from day to day. Um, which, you know, it's, it's never boring. That's certainly for sure. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a curveball, and don't you don't have to answer, but if you had to answer, <laughs> mm -hmm. which would be your, like, your favorite to work with? If you had to choose, what is your what is your number one that you absolutely love to work with on the day to day? I will say, uh, mostly because it's been fairly prominent in the past, mm -hmm. you know, couple of years, is uh, small unmanned aerial systems, right. uh, mm -hmm. SUAS. So some of the flying we were just doing. Um, I I really enjoy being out in the field and yeah. actually conducting testing. Um, it, just because you you get to take all of the the planning, the writing, the um, the standards development, all of that that kind of happens, you know, somewhat virtually, and really get to yeah. physically put it into into play. Now, what's what's funny about that is the other day we were tallying up like how much that test event cost us in terms of you know uh, travel funds, <laughs> yeah, shipping, yes. and people, and all this. <laughs> And you, you, you take that number, however many tens of thousands of dollars, and then yeah. next to it, you put the 20 slide PowerPoint file that ultimately came out of it. And right. Wow, well, we paid this much for this. But the data in that PowerPoint yeah, file really is so, it, 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 if you want to actually assign a value to it, you know, there, there's your comparison. Mm. Um, but it really is gratifying to know that you can put all of this prep and development work and when you get out to the field and, and do it. And I'm using, uh, drones just because it's most you know recent right. talk to me in six months and I'll say oh it's the legged robots that we're doing yeah. in the field now yeah. but just anything that's in the field work is you know uh, definitely yeah hands on robot. yeah that's yeah, really absolutely. cool well this is great I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today Adam this was a, a great conversation Nora do you have any last words any last questions I question? don't I don't have any last questions. Just a thank you, Adam, for all the work that you do, you know, internally with ASTM, but also with the Nerve Center and developing standards and also just making the world a safer place. Well, thank you both very much. Uh, you know, if, if the listener doesn't know, I've worked with Nora and Bill in variable <laughs> capacities for the past however many years. Uh, so it's great to see them come together. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you guys. Thank Thanks you. Thank you for listening to us today. Please share this podcast with your friends and join us next time.